Hi, I'm Grant Marshall. And I'm Bailey Dossett. And today we'll be interviewing Dr. Amanda Coe. She is known for her work in soft robotics materials and porous uh, water filters to get bad materials out of water. Keep listening to hear our interview. So what made you decide to pursue research? I really like problem solving. I really like kind of going after new things. Um, I didn't actually think I was really interested in research very early on, kind of like thinking about uh, early high school maybe. But I got to take a class at Columbia. I'm originally from New York City. And it was just really fun to kind of get to do new things, to learn new things, and to kind of go in directions that people hadn't gone before. I got to do some research while I was in college, and that was really exciting. Um, I realized, you know, over internships that I just really like doing kind of the cutting edge and combining that, you know, doing things to make the world a better place, but in the ways that I thought was really exciting, the ways that I thought were really interesting. And research kind of gave the opportunity to do that. Awesome. Awesome. What has your experience working with others been like? Uh, others, students, others, faculty, uh, what kind of others? Uh, let's go with other students. So I, I really enjoy working with students. Mm -hmm. um, when I actually, the reason I got a PhD is because I actually wanted to do military research. Okay. Um, so you know, the reason, so I went through undergrad thinking, you know, I want to do a joint, I want to not join the military. I want to join a uh, military and national lab, something like that. To do that, I need a PhD. So you know, I went and I got my PhD, uh, and then I worked for the Army Research Lab after I got my PhD, and it was great. You know, the people there are great. You can't work with students. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, for national security, it just takes forever to get anybody on post. We had a student who, you know, was supposed to work for the summer, and it took him like a month and a half to get computer access, which is just, you know, you can't really do anything on that kind of level. So one of the reasons I came to academia kind of from my postdoc was because I really like working with students. And it's been so gratifying uh, to... I say students in my lab are kind of the most fun, but certainly students in client classes as well to see students progress and to know that I can kind of really help that out. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in my lab, I have so many students who come to me. I really take it, like taking younger students. So students who were sophomores when they started with me, and you know, they might be shy, might not kind of know what they're doing, feel uncomfortable because it's not something they've ever taught, done before. My research is not kind of classic chemical engineering, so it's not something you've seen in a lot of classes. And to see them kind of grow and develop and to the point where you know, they can graduate and they're, they're confident in what they're doing, they can tell others what they're doing, seeing them teach other students, it's really great. I, I enjoy it a lot. Do you get a lot students. of like students? I I do. Um, I, well, I guess a lot. I, I don't know what the metric is, but I have... Um, I think 10 or 11 kind of undergrads working in my lab right now. We've taken on kind of a couple new people. They'll probably start more kind of next semester. And there's like some sort of flux, you know, people, uh, classes are always going to be most important to an undergrad. So, you know, some semesters you might have a kind of heavier load than others. Some people move on to doing other things. I've had students who, you know, wanted to try research for a semester or for a year and then realize, you know, I actually really want to be a business. <laughs> this is not really what I'm interested in. Uh, but I, I do like to work with a lot of the students. I like to work with a lot of students in grad school as well. So I'm trying to kind of continue that. Plus, if I really get really good undergrads, I can try and steal them and keep them yeah. for grad school. So <laughs> that's that's often my goal. Do you ever get to like work with like faculty members or is you are you like primarily working with students? No, I work with a lot of faculty. Um, similarly to how kind of my research is not classic kind of chemical engineering. I don't do pharmaceuticals. I don't do oil, stuff like that. Um, I do a little bit of a lot of things that requires expertise from outside of the department. So I do work that involves civil engineering, I do work that involves environmental engineering, I do work that involves mechanical engineering, I've worked with biology, I've worked with chemistry, 
I'm actually part of the collaborative arts research initiative on campus. So actually I'm working with people from music. I'm working with people, I'm working with a uh, collaborator from book arts, oh which gosh. is really cool. <laughs> so really trying to look at all these, I, I mean, chemical engineering is, is great. And I have, I've done chemical engineering you know, since the get go, right. but how it kind of intersects with the, these other sorts of fields and how we can use our materials and what we do in the lab to help facilitate what other people are doing kind of with, the powers combined kind of make something better. It's kind of one of the most exciting things about doing this. Plus I get to learn a lot without having to be an expert. Like I have no interest in going back and being a physics major or a mechanical engineering or anything like that, but I have learned so much. Um, like I actually worked with somebody in electrical engineering and I had to understand, I didn't understand antenna. So yeah, this so much work in antenna. I mean, people have been using for antenna for a century now. It's like, okay, go and watch this, like, a Canadian Mounties YouTube video from, like, the 80s or something. But it was such a good, like, basic understanding of antenna. I was like, okay, that's all I need to know. Like, I don't need to go and take a class in this. Like, this, yeah. this like, one little snapshot and kind of rely on other people to be the experts who kind of take that little bit of this. I've learned, like I said, I've learned so much from a lot of people across campus. And I learned from students, too, who have all kinds of other backgrounds. And, uh, I mean, one of, one of my grad students uh, is... A, a mime or like that was something she really liked to do uh in kind of her uh, early schooling and that's not something i've ever talked to so <laughs> someone i've ever kind of met who that's like a thing that they do or other types of arts and things like that um yeah i work got to work with a lot of people and get to learn from a lot of different people no that's really cool i'm glad awesome. you get to like branch out and yeah like you, people. you said you work with musicians i'm a violinist myself I played for 13 okay. years so the fact that chemical engineering even branches out to that is just really impressing and like you know good to know yeah we're we're trying to one of the things that we work on is sensors and there's a lot of sensors that are trying to deal with you know walking and, and uh, moving and kind of body motion and that's certainly very important something that we're right. looking at but how that can interact with the instrument is something that we're trying to kind of look into as well oh um, wow the collaborator he actually does data sonification so you, you generate data and then he basically makes it into music so that's really cool no that is really cool <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard about like heard about that yeah it's uh, you'll have to, uh, Andrew Dewar, Dewar uh, uh, is the professor who does that. He's in New College with uh, cross, cross appointment or whatever department of music. Some really cool stuff. Oh, definitely. Are there any uh, other impacts that your research has had that you think people won't expect or anything like that? So there's a certainly a future impact. I think I've, I haven't been here for so long that I can kind of rest on my laurels and say that we've already had, you know, our major impact on the mm -hmm. world. But I think, you know, clean water, working in prosthetics, working, uh, I'm really interested in, in the actual robotic size things of things as well. And I realize, I mean, I've never built a robot before. I'm not a mechanical engineer, I'm not an electrical engineer, but how we can have robots that are better interact with humans and can move through the environment more like humans. That's something that I think is probably one of the farthest things from chemical engineering <laughs> that we yeah. kind of do. Uh, you don't really think about chemical engineers being roboticists, um, but how, one of the stories, and I think I said that in kind of uh, 125, is that robots are just so terrible at walking like a human. Mm -hmm. And it's just something we don't think about at all. Mm -hmm. It's actually really interesting. So I, I have a little daughter, and she just started learning to walk. So like the things that she's learning and how to interact with the environment, robots can't do. And the reason robots can't do it is because they don't have our ability to sense the environment. But we've been able to do it, you know, since we we're a year, a year and a half old. So how do you kind of give that type of spatial understanding, a physical understanding to a robot so that they can help people more? Um, one of the things that kind of comes across a lot when you work in the DOD is that uh, the warfighter is carrying enormous amount. Like there's, there's some, 
I don't remember what the number is. There's some load that's kind of health advisable, essentially. And they're carrying like three, four, five times that. And that's into, you know, dangerous environments where they're expected to be at top physical condition. So if we had, you know, a teammate essentially that could carry you know, the basic sort of stuff, something you don't need immediate access to, that could just be such an enormous lifesaver for, for people in all kinds of different environments. But if you're working, you know, we're not, the warfighter is not working on, you know, perfectly marble smooth surfaces, yeah. right? So having something that can walk in, uh, in sand and dirt i mean think about even working if it's working with you know the elderly they're not even good at working over rug right yeah. and that's something where if you have it in your apartment you don't want to have to deal with something kind of navigating i mean rough terrain being a carpet like that's yeah. that's something we deal with so easily right and a robot is not good at that no that's crazy i never really thought about it like that way like because you know you think of robots you're like uh but like they really can't like you know function as a human being so to be able to like put that aspect into that it's like actually mind-blowing i never thought about it that way it's it's really cool you can see there's a ton of youtube videos out there about people just being jerks to robots or, like pushing <laughs> them and like making them go through all these different environments that they're just terrible at because and we think that we think that they're amazing and there's one uh video that my advisor and i was a postdoc like to show that it was this giant robot, you know, it looked so sophisticated, and they put a hammer in one of its hands, and it could not handle that balance. Like, wow. so it kept falling over just because it had, you know, one object in a hand. Uh, and granted, you know, we've come farther from that, but if robots could interact more like humans, they would be so much more functional and be able to help us so much more. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, what do you think, in your opinion, has been the greatest real-world application of your soft material research? I mean, there's so there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I mean, again, we're we're definitely at early stages of research, so I can't. Uh, a lot of this stuff is not something I can point to that somebody's already bought or kind of already uh, put in place. And as my research kind of falls into three different areas, so I can kind of point to a really big application I think is really important in each of them. I mean, talking about kind of robotics and interacting with people when dealing with kind of the soft and stretchable materials. Uh, we work with fluids that can basically used as energy dampers. So you can put it in earthquake built in buildings that suffer from earthquakes. And right now having material that could basically stop the cat like catastrophic, you know, breakdown of a building, that's what we're looking at. You know, and certainly we're not there, you know, with this plenty of work to be <laughs> yeah. done. But thinking about how we can try and develop inexpensive materials that can use less power and will keep a building standing for longer is just is really rewarding and something that uh, I mean, if we can, if it comes to fruition, and that's you know that's the goal, right? Is to make it come to fruition, and that could have a huge impact. And then I work on water quality research, and I mean, there's there's nothing like clean water, right? You know, there's there's no part of the world that wouldn't be touched by having cleaner water. Mm -hmm. But our research is really trying to make sure again that it's inexpensive and that it's tailored to depend it to where you are, so that someone who's in a static water condition versus high flow versus you know uh, heavy metals versus uh, fertilizer and all that kind of stuff. Being able to have this platform that we're working in that can be tailored to all those different places so that no matter who you are, you can have clean water. I mean, that's something I think is, is you can't make me pick between my children, right? <laughs> but like, uh, I think these are all really important real world applications. No, definitely. And that can't, that can also be like applied outside of here, which is like really amazing. It's like a worldwide basically thing. Cause if, like you said, if it comes to it, that's like, you can't live without clean water and, and a bunch of other people would get to like, you know, have that. And I bet at least if I was creating something so cool like that, I would feel rewarded and grateful if like I could share it with other people. So that's like really amazing. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons to, to go into research is, uh, I mean, you're not working in your basement so you can like, you know, make something explode or, you know, right. This isn't yeah. just like stuff at home is to really 
you do it so you can help other people. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, I love doing research and it's motivating to know that at the end of the day, you're helping somebody. And you know, there are times when stuff doesn't work. You know, you, like you're in grad, when you're in grad school, you know, the times you're here, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning and you're doing the research experiment for the fourth time and nothing seems to work. And you've been doing this for three years now and it's never going to be over and like, ah, but think, okay, wait, I realize this is tough. I realize this is frustrating, but this is going towards X. Like I know when this is successful, even if, you know, within my PhD, it needs to take the next PhD student or whatever, when this project comes to fruition, it's going to help people. And I know how it's going to help people. I think that's really helpful to kind of motivate through some of the more difficult times. Oh, yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> so I was looking at your porous uh, materials research, and I was wondering what, what exactly kind of materials are you trying to re- remove from water? Like, are you trying to get it even cleaner than it is now? So yeah, uh, well, lots of our water is not clean, uh, first of all. Yeah. Um, and we're really, so, I mean, heavy metals is certainly something, so uh, looking at industrial effluent, so if you think kind of what a lot of, uh, heavy industry is putting out into the water. Uh, we're trying to kind of pull that and essentially make it easier for industry as well. Something that they kind of have continuously rather than having to sample or maybe kind of have uh, batch systems and things like that. I'm interested in trying to deal with fertilizer runoff. So a uh, big thing is uh, phosphates and nitrates that get into the water and then we have algae blooms. So there's all these kind of extra nutrients that in the, in the water and nutrients for algae as opposed to nutrients for the fish that we're interested in or something like that. So trying to pull out phosphates in the water so that we don't kind of get this excess algae. And with excess, excess algae, either eases up all the oxygen and you see, you see death of the fish or whatever because there isn't enough oxygen in water or they're actually toxic. Mm-hmm. This has been a big problem for a lot of the southeast, you know, think places in the Gulf of Mexico, which rely on the aquaculture from the Gulf uh, around kind of Louisiana and Florida and all of that. And we're looking at how we can kind of pull out those phosphates, phosphates in particular. Uh, we're also looking at uh, PFAS. So polyfluoroalkyl substances are these like forever chemicals. They've been in the news a ton, you know, these like horrible things. And they're just like in everybody's blood at this point, like they're just everywhere. Um, trying to figure out ways to pull that out of the water has been, has been challenging for you know every type of water technology out there. And we're trying to see how we can kind of tailor the porous materials to pick that up as well. But the goal is to hopefully, you know, being able to use existing chemistry, you know, things that, that already exist but being able to kind of have them uh, anchored into the porous materials so that we can use that to kind of pull things out of the water. Kind of relying on a lot of the DOD background I have, I'm really interested in trying to pull out chemical warfare agents out of the water. So things that have been left behind either through current warfare or even things you know, from World War II and stuff that's still kind of left behind. There are some places uh, less than the United States, but a lot of places in Europe that are still have a lot of this really nasty, you know, sarin gas and things that are kind of left behind in the water. Because what they used to do, uh, you know, shortly after World War II, they'd have this stockpile of chemical weapons. And they're like, oh, we don't need this anymore. We have to, you know, dispose of it. Let's put it in a barrel and let's just throw it somewhere. <laughs> and once we don't know about it, it doesn't exist anymore, right? Um, but over time, you know, things break down. The seals aren't working. And you see, kind of see this uh, release of the chemical warfare agents. And sometimes it's not, a, it's not too much of a problem because it's not really water-soluble. But if you have things that are water-soluble, then you start to see this big increase in this obviously really harmful agent, but they're very difficult to kind of pick up. So we're trying to, something else that I would be interested in is trying to develop these porous materials to absorb chemical warfare agents as well. Nice. Got time for one more question with you. Um, what are you most looking forward to in your research? Ooh, Sorry, lots of things. Tough question, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I can give, I can give two different answers. Okay. 
Um, the research itself, um, so I joined UA in 2018. I haven't been here for too long. And really seeing something that we work on being able to put into the final application, not necessarily, you know, commercially or anything, but when we're able to, like, if someone in mechanical engineering has a robot and we put the sensor, like, on the robot and we see that it interacts. Yeah. Or in civil engineering, uh, there is a shake building, I guess. I don't know. There's Essentially, it's a building on a shake table. Oh, yeah, and yeah. It's like a three stories tall. And I think if we could have, you know, the mineral fluids, if we could put that in the building and see the energy dampening, like that would be really exciting. Or the porous materials, if we could make something and actually see it go into, you know, a catfish pond and be able to pick up, you know, fertilizer from that water. Seeing something from each of these projects really put into fruition into the field, which I think is is not, I mean, it's in the future, but it's not so far in the future that, you know, it's, it's exciting to kind of think about that. You're always looking at a real world application so seeing it applied in their own application would be really exciting. I think on the, the, my second answer is, you know, undergraduate students come through my lab and it's always gratifying to see kind of undergrads develop and, and all that. But uh, again, because I'm, I'm fairly new, my grad students are still kind of early on in their career. I'm really excited to see them to have like my first graduate student graduate and kind of see that full five years, like you started not really knowing anything about this field, Five years later, you know, you are the local expert in this. Like, you're going to go and you're going to, your your research has changed, has helped change the world. Now you're going to go off and kind of do something. That's, you know, it's really gratifying for me to kind of see that transition and release my grad students into the world and see them yeah. kind of be better researchers and things like that. So it's really actually. exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for, you know, allowing us to come in here and interview you. No, it's, it's been great. <laughs>